Hi and welcome to Magic Numbers. This is episode number 53 and today I will try to talk about why are the top players top and what makes them so special. Is it all about the gameplay or is it also about some card selection? Now normally the issue is that it's very very hard to determine what um, constitutes good gameplay because in, even when you look at deep into the replay data um, it's hard to see if that was a well-played game um, or was it a game that was won because the deck was composed uh, particularly. Uh, because of that, I'm going to look mainly at the deck composition and the frequency of picking cards and try to say, is there something different in uh, deck building and, 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 and frequency of playing particular cards? And then, of course, that's only the part of the explanation. Uh, the other part is going to be the gameplay, but I can't really uh, give you any kind of numbers based on how well people play. Um, before we go into that, obviously, um, a word from the sponsor, uh, mtgazone.com. Uh, it's a really good place to go to if you want to get some information about how to play Magic. Uh, there is really interesting players writing for it. Obviously, there is the uh, Paolo Vitor uh, who is writing for them, and uh, that kind of person does not need much uh, introduction. Recently, they've acquired a new one uh, to write articles, and that's Chris Botello. And I'm really excited about uh, Chris Botello's articles because he seems to be like one of the few people in the long line of the proper deck constructors. So, I mean, when I look at what he did in the last couple of years, uh, it reminds me of what Zvi did in deck building, what Sam Black did in deck building. So I'm hoping that uh, Chris Botello is going to introduce some really interesting part of um into the um, into the article writing, but it's not only about constructed because these players mainly write about constructed. There is also like a very uh, solid limited section. A uh, bunch of uh, draft lab guys are writing for uh, MTGA Zone. I'm writing for MTGA Zone, which hopefully will sway you to at least go there, do some clicks, and um, and leave some good uh, recommendations and pass it over to to your friends so that the site can grow and can continue supporting the podcast. Um, today, again, we're looking at the difference between the top players, the middle tier players, and the uh, lower win rate players. We're going to look at um, which cards the top players use more frequently, which cards are differentially um, uh, seen in terms of win rates uh, between the top and the and, and lower tier players. And also we're going to try to at least look a, a bit and it's going to be a one slide, so don't get your hopes up um, about the game duration. But again, before I start with the seminar part, I always uh, do a bit of um, a bit of a preamble. Oh, where's the preamble? There's the preamble. A bit of a preamble, and today's preamble is has something to do with the tiers of the win rates. And um, this is something that if you were a very heavily invested player, you frequently do forget. And maybe when you're a beginner, you also might forget it and it's detrimental to you. But learning how to play limited has stages and you can't jump over certain stages of your development as a player. Um, we're going to talk today about the difference between top players and uh, uh, lower win rate players. And we're going to try to figure out what makes those differences. Uh, but just by listening and by even knowing that, okay, top players use this card better, 
doesn't mean that if you are still in your um, apprenticeship phase of uh, playing limited, you're hoping to become a good player one day, but you're not quite there. It doesn't mean that just by listening to which cards are the top players using so efficiently that you are going to be able to uh, use those cards efficiently because it's very much like learning how to ski. I don't know if any one of you uh, uh, did learn how to ski ever in their life, but um, usually when you start skiing, the instructor tells you, put your skis together like this and sort of plow your way through the snow. If you're an advanced skier and if you try to do that kind of um, um, approach on skiing, you're going to be in a world of pain because it's a very inefficient way of skiing. Of course, you're much better at that stage. You know that you can keep your skis parallel. You can just go straight line um, or, or with a bit of a panache and uh, get anywhere you want without getting too much tired. But if you're a beginner, if you try to do that, you're going to inadvertently fall. You're going to damage yourself. You're going to get an injury. It takes time to get from the plow stage into the parallel skiing stage it requires experience, it requires understanding the slope, it requires understanding the stickiness, it requires um, understanding your equipment, it requires uh, lots of things uh, that you learn as you fall while you're learning it. And it's the same with limited. It's basically, you can't take a card that top players are playing with an extremely uh, high win rate when you don't understand how to make a plan, when you don't get your level ups. And I will always recommend Limited level ups, limited resources, Lords of Limited, um, Draft Lab, all those uh, podcasts are really good in explaining certain ideas behind it. You're going to get there. Don't worry. You can become a really amazing limited player in um, in a year or two, even if you if you invest the time in it. But you will not jump over certain developmental stages. You really have to go through them because only by failing and doing something, you can understand why did you fail. And you need to put a lot of effort into introspection and stuff like that. So um, we're talking about what makes the good players different and which cards work better in the hands of good players. And I will try in some areas of that to explain um, what is the reason why good players play better with those cards? And very frequently, coaching is very useful, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think that uh, Magic players generally underestimate how important coaching is. Um, and we should use more of it. I should use more of it. As a sort of um, decent player, I should probably get coaching, you know, at least monthly. Uh, because that will I can only expand my, uh, my, my repertoire. Top uh, players should use coaching. Uh, if you're like, even if you're at the level of um, um, a Florida man who is in the chat, even if you're as good as Florida man is, probably you should uh, have coaching from a constructed player to get some kind of uh, other ideas and expand your range. And there is, there should not be ashamed in uh, asking for, uh, for help. And uh, sorry, Florida man, I'm using your example because I think that, uh, well, you're, you're, quite confirmed as a, as a top um, uh, uh, leaderboard player in, in an arena. So even if you need it, then anyone needs it. Um, so don't try to jump over those stages, embrace those stages. When I'm talking about the middle tier players, uh, which are still high win rate players, um, and cards they don't understand, try to figure out why they don't understand those cards and why on average uh, middle tier player um, has a lower win rate with those cards. Don't try to jump straight into, oh, I want to be a top player, therefore I'm going to play the top uh, player cards. Because very frequently, the top players 
have a higher win rate of a, uh, with a particular card, not because they are so good with uh, playing it, but because they play it less frequently than the lower tier players. They know exactly when to play it and they know exactly when to stop playing it or skip playing it. Uh, Jay Blazes says, uh, coaches themselves need coachings. Um, yes, this is the lesson that I got from, um, um, from golf of, of all the things. Um, my golf teacher told me that, oh, uh, I can't do Tuesday. I'm having a coaching session with another pro. And I'm like, why? You're like really good. Your handicap is zero. Oh, yeah, yeah, still. But I, I need to improve my, uh, my chipping. And he's better in chipping than I am. So I'm going to Uncle Cardboard. I, I can afford uh, a golf teacher uh, three times in a year. That's basically the, the number. And no, I'm still not going to pay you for, uh, for helping with, with the podcast. The fact that I can afford a golf teacher once in a blue moon doesn't mean anything. I'm still not affluent. Um, right. Um, come on. Right. So before we start uh, the data summary for today, uh, all the data comes from 17lens.com, um, as always. Uh, today, I'm looking at the Premier Draft data, and it covers roughly 190,000 games um, from the tiers that are um, defined by, uh, by the 17 lands. Um, the tiers are bottom, middle, and top, and they are linked to the performance of the players that uh, are in those tiers from the last at least three um, at least last three formats uh, and the rules are not quite clear no one knows in which um, tier they are themselves but you can generally assume that uh, top tier players are roughly average 60 percent win rate um, middle tier are roughly 57 and uh, uh, bottom tier are roughly 50 percent uh, win rate players uh, first of all we better look at, because when you look at the 17 lens data, you normally look at the aggregate thing. 45% um, of the players on 17 lens are in the top tier. It's top tier is not like something that is super rare. Most of the players that use 17 lens are in that top tier. Uh, another 34% are in the middle tier and only 20% are in the uh, bottom tier. So 17 lens is mainly used by people heavily invested who have already high win rate. Keep that in mind. The bottom tier are ambitious players who are starting most of the time. Uh, they do have a 50% win rate, but they really want to have a higher win rate uh, in the future. They are investing heavily. They put 17 lens on the computer. Uh, they are tracking their games. They try to learn. They are still not there. They will be there very soon. So uh, I'm pretty sure that lots of those players from the bottom tier today are going to be in the middle tier in three, four sets uh, and probably in the top tier in... Uh, uh, a bit more than that. And of course, new users are going to move into that bottom tier uh, and, and progress. Because if you are so invested that you want to track your uh, record on 17 lands, usually you're going to get there because time invested is paying off. Uh, right. Um, the win rate by tiers, as I said, 61 roughly for top players, 57% middle tier and 50% bottom tier, which means that bottom tier is a very good approximation of uh, an average arena user because an average arena user obviously will have a 50% win rate. Um, these three tiers will also not be distributed evenly. Like a lot of the top tier players are going to reach Mythic every single um, set uh, or every single month. Uh, middle tiers, some of them will reach Mythic, not all of them. Bottom tiers will probably be um, sort of getting Platinum, maybe getting to Diamond, uh, but probably not frequently into uh, um, into Mythic. 
Kazin says that uh, uh, they are between bottom and middle. Um, yeah, um, depends on how much you played in the previous sets. Uh, but if your win rate is around 54%, uh, you're on you're very much on your way to the middle tier, uh, most likely uh, in the next. Um, uh, Miguelito Hertz, what is the percentile of the top players, top 10%? It's very hard to say because some people who are in the top uh, tier are the people that play on multiple accounts and uh, they're good players who play mainly in uh, bronze, silver and gold. And then they stop and they move on to another account and go gold, silver, bronze. It's a strategy uh, and I'm not going to judge that one. Uh, lots of the players in the top, uh, lots of the games are going to be played by few people that play very much. Um, so most of the time they're going to be top 10% in terms of investment, but it's very hard to say that when you don't have the data from uh, from all the other users. You have to keep in mind that being a 17 lens user is a self-selected kind of property. So um, not everyone is a 17 lens user. Actually, I'm pretty much sure of my internal calculations that maybe 5% of the people are 17 lens users, maybe, maybe less, maybe two. So we are missing 95% of the players and lots of them will be very occasional players that just draft rarely. Um, so yeah, top level of 17 lands are going to be top 10%, most likely, yeah, in terms of win rate at least uh, and, and, and possibly ability because those things are quite correlated. Um, so first thing that I want to see is, is there a difference between uh, the top players and, and, and the lower uh, ability players in terms of how they play the, uh, the format? And here I have the, those categories that you have in 17 lands. You have the two color decks, two colors decks with a splash, three color decks, three colors with a splash, blah, 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 wait, uh, well, there you go. Uh, four color decks, four colors and splash and five color decks. Like, one thing that is important, two color decks are rare in, in this format. They, they win quite a lot, but um, they are rare. Um, and there is no difference between top players and, and, and all the other ability tiers uh, or uh, win rate tiers uh, in terms of how they play. There's very little difference in the two color and splash. One big difference that has a quite straightforward trend is three color decks. Um, top players avoid playing three color decks. They would rather be uh, a two color straight um, than a three color, and they rather play three color and a splash. So it means that um, top players in general either want to have a two color kind of um, uh, strategy uh, to play, or they want to go all in on domain and they want to play multiple colors. That's why you see three colors and splash, four colors, uh, four colors and splash, and five colors are most played by the top players. So um, it doesn't mean that the uh, three uh, plus color strategies are better. It just means that um, top players will prefer to play either like all in or two colors rather than uh, being so sort of middling three color. Hi, hi Carl, by the way. Uh, Carl, you're probably half of all the top player statistics judging by the number of drafts that you play. Um, although, as I said a second ago, uh, top players are 45% of all the games that we are analyzing here. So actually, top players is a very wide um, uh, category in here. Um, uh, so how does it like, compare to the, to the win rates of the players? Um, the, uh, the lower win rate tier 
it's basically the highest win percentage is two color decks. And that's the true with a uh, middle and the top uh, win rate tier. Uh, so no problem with that. Uh, but you can see that there is like this gap, like uh, two color decks are the best, but the second best uh, category is the five color decks. And then uh, you have like a, this sort of drop to the four colors and, and a bit of a rise. We have to keep in mind the bottom win rate players are a smaller group. So uh, there is um, higher potential for variance in those. But we see a similar trend also in the middle tier when we have the highest win rate in, uh, in the um, uh, two color decks and the second highest is also five color decks. And then there is like a doldrums, uh, there is some variance in there. Um, important thing about the top um, players, you still see that two color decks are the best, but then you see almost no difference. Like there is this one that we can easily assign to variance, but basically there is no difference whether you play uh, two colors in a splash or five colors uh, at the top tier. And this consistency is very important because uh, keep in mind, they play much more frequently uh, those last four categories than, uh, than the other players. So they are capable to consistently draft multicolor decks without a big penalty for a win rate. They are truly capable of uh, utilizing uh, DMU as a format and getting high win rate, um, uh, getting high win rate um, um, in it while drafting the uh, multicolor decks more frequently than the, than the lower, uh, lower win rate tiers, basically. And you, one thing that you can also see is that Basically, those two, three categories, even though middle and top players are not far apart, but there is a consistent difference between them. Uh, in no single category, there is a higher win rate of the middle uh, tier players uh, uh, than top uh, win rate players. Think about it that you're being assigned to top, middle or bottom by the last, um, uh, by the last three formats, which means that some of the players in the middle tier are having amazing time in DMU. But maybe their uh, Streets of New Capena and um, uh, and uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, they were still uh, learning. But now they're really, really, really strong. Uh, and still, even with that caveat, uh, the top players have a higher win rate. So uh, the consistency among formats seems to be something that carries over. Um, there's a couple of questions, so let's focus on those. I'm guessing it's hard to analyze, but would there be any difference in these plots if you distinguish between kicker colors and main colors? Uh, Chuck Noblocks, I'm sure there is something. And as soon as I'm going to get the game data, my first episode is going to be literally about um, qualifying kicker spells into different categories in which one category will be a spell where kicker is not important. Uh, the other category is going to be Kicker is a very important benefit. And the third category is going to be, you don't even want to play that card when you don't have a kicker. Uh, so as soon as I'm going to get the data that can answer those questions, I'm going to look at those. Unfortunately, we still don't have them because of the data generation issues that we had uh, uh, at the beginning of DMU uh, uh, because of the migration of the seven lens. I'm sure it's going to be there. I think that it's a bit of a shame that, um, that th those problems arrived in this format and not in the bloody um, uh, Baldur's Gate set that no one cares about because this one has, I'm sure, like very interesting data that we're missing because the, this data is not available yet. Uh, and there is a question from uh, Dana Rossi, uh, 77. Do you think two color benefits from Tempo not having dual lens? 
yes, absolutely. Um, putting extra colors into the deck is always a penalty. I would refer you to my seminar four weeks ago when I talked about the, um, how this format is different from all the others. Also, from my, uh, it's described in my article on the MTGA zone. Uh, there is a penalty for putting extra colors, and that penalty is balanced by the power of uh, having access to multiple colors. Very few formats uh, have enough power in those extra colors that you can play uh, multicolor decks. DMU is one of them, but still, if you are going to land in an open lane and you can draft a two-color deck, it's going to be uh, more powerful. Uh, uh, there's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, because... First of all, we're analyzing best of one. Aggressive decks are much better when they are two-color, uh, and a, a bunch of that uh, higher win rate in two-color decks is white-red being a very good aggressive deck and being exclusively good as a two-color combination. And that, I think, is going to be um, uh, the reason why the two-color decks are just uh, you know, higher win rate. But you have to keep in mind, you can't draft a two-color deck in every uh, draft in this format. Most of the time, you're not going to be able to do that um, uh, because it's a multicolor format. So um, because of that, good players know how to abuse those multicolor decks better than uh, than players uh, from the lower uh, win rate tiers. All right. Uh, now we're going to have a bunch of graphs. Uh, uh, but those graphs are going to show slightly different things. Um, here... We're going to, um, no, that, that description is absolutely rubbish. I think that in the next slide, it's going to be, yeah, fav favoring than favored is much better. Uh, I think that Jay Blazes, um, I think that top win rate players are good in being able to consistently casting their spells, uh, even when they are playing multicolors. And I think that building mana bases is like, an amazing skill um, that you acquire while playing the game for a bit longer and getting more uh, repet you know, uh, reps under your belt. Uh, and this is something that should not be underappreciated. By the way, if you don't know the uh, Two Deck uh, Cubed uh, podcast, um, uh, Mystical Dispute, I listened to their latest episode today and Carl has an amazing description of how to build different mana bases um, um, in this format and, and how can you utilize certain cards if you have dual lands that are within your main colors or dual lands that only border your main colors. So if you play a red-green deck, if you play red-green dual lands, when you can splash an off-color basic and play uh, cards that search for basic lands, you can expand your domain. If you have dual lands that border your main color, so if you play, again, mainly red-green color and uh, you're having a green-black uh, dual, um, red-blue dual, then you don't want to splash uh, basic lands and the cards that fetch for basic lands are not as useful as they would be uh, in a deck when you have your duels focusing on your main colors. I thought it was such a good argument. I would highly recommend to listen to Mystical Dispute if you have an opportunity. It's uh, actually, it's pretty short, so that's that's quite useful to listen to. Um, so here it should say cards most favoring the top, uh, the top players rather than favored by top players. Uh, we're looking at the win rates here. I'm not streaming beers. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm streaming beers. Um, 
Right. So this is the difference between win rate in top tier and the bottom tier of the uh, 17 lens players. So these are the cards where top players can squeeze out much more win rate um, uh, than uh, than the bottom uh, than the bottom level players. When you look, uh, oh, come on. When you look at the difference between top and bottom players on average win rate, uh, it's about 10, 11-ish percentage points. Um, these cards have far more than, uh, than 10, 11 percentage points. Twinferno is the card that has the biggest difference. And it's been there for two weeks because I was starting this analysis two weeks ago. I had to redo it multiple times because I couldn't uh, squeeze in some time to... Uh, to run that seminar, but Twinferno has a 20 percentage um, uh, win rate difference between the top players and the bottom players. That's double the, the average difference almost. Thran Portal, another card um, that has a big, big, big difference in terms of the win rate. Uh, Inscribed Tablet, another card, massive difference. We have to think about why there is a difference between them. And there can be several reasons. One reason is that good players, experienced players, know how to use the card better. And that's all fine. Another reason might be experienced players will play this card less, but they will know exactly when to use it. And most of those cards you will see um, are exactly that kind of uh, situation. When not only they have a higher win rate um, when top players use them, but also top players will use them much less frequently. They will know exactly um, uh, when to play Twinferno and they will not put a Twinferno just because it's an uncommon. And I think that this is like something that is very important to understand. Carpluson Forest is there. Sometimes it's just there. You know, you have to keep in mind, the average difference is like 10%. Uh, this is 14 and a half. There is some variance going on. Um, Carpluson Forest is a card that is pretty bad when you want to play Domain. And I'm pretty sure that the experienced players will not put Carpluson Forest frequently when they're playing a Domain-based deck. They will frequently put it in a deck that um, wants to have multicolors but does not have many Domain payoffs. And probably that's the difference. They play it when actually it's beneficial to have a Painland. Um, less experienced players will play it when, uh, when, when they want to have multicolors, but they don't understand that putting a land that doesn't give you types is uh, actually hindering your game plan. I think that's the main difference there. Uh, what other cards do we have? Stand Paranoid Partisan. Again, I think that uh, experienced players will play it rarely. But when they play it, they have a deck that has a lot of instants and sorceries, and they know exactly how to use it. Uh, Karn Silex becomes better when you have a plan that is surrounding it. So if you have like four Tolarian Terrors and you play Karn Silex, you have a much better game plan than um, um, than uh, if you uh, if you are just playing Karn Silex as a sort of uh, removal. Um, sorry, I'm just going to check if one thing happened because I saw a bunch of people joining the stream and disappearing, which usually means a raid, and I would like to thank people for a raid. I don't have, unfortunately... Uh, oh, Beers raided me. Yeah, thank you, Beers. Thank you so much for the raid. Um, I always appreciate it. Shout out to Beers. Uh, Beers is an amazing player and a fun person to have in the chat anyway. Uh, but let's go back to the card analysis. Uh, Heroes Heirloom, that's like definitely a card that uh, top players are playing very rarely. Um, Negate, that's a card that probably less experienced players don't play frequently enough. 
I think that we all started with you know this thought that oh negate is maybe a maybe a sideboard card. I think that in my last last drafts that I played, I main decked one negate easily if I played blue. I was quite happy to play it, and I think that I learned it from people that are way better than me uh, by by watching them play, but also by bumping into negate a couple of times, and it basically lost me the game because my opponent had negate and uh, I didn't expect it. I learned to play around it, and I learned to play with it when I have the chance because the card is good, and it makes sense when you look at the top uh, win rate commons in this format. Uh, I think that there are two creatures in top ten. Um, um, in top turn win rate commons, one defender creature, which is sort of a creature, whatever, and seven spells. So uh, all of a sudden, negate becomes like, well, well it, it deals with like the things that are having the highest win rate, so why not? Uh, Leylight Binding, I think it's a card that uh, probably is uh, a bit more difficult to play because it's not only that you need to put it in the right deck, but you also need to know when to uh, when to apply it. Vohar um, is again an example of a card that um, is very much underappreciated by uh, arena users. It goes pretty late, and I think that good players or experienced players know how to use it and like to use it more, and they have a good win rate of it because they can build a deck that has a plan uh, that you know accommodates for Vohar quite well. Uh, and it's funny that Erg's Spawn of Turg is next to it because these two are exactly the two most underrated um, um, signposts and commons in the format. They are going very late and um, and they are the highest win rate uh, uncommons that go pretty late uh, in terms of the multicolor ones. And they, fav they, are, they favor the top players uh, more or less in the same way. And then we have a couple of uh, stuff. Like Slimefoot Survey is another card that uh, I'm pretty sure that People who just started playing um, limited might put it in too many decks. In my opinion, uh, there is very few homes uh, for that. One home is a deck with a couple of particularly strong bombs that wants to do domain. And the best home for that is a deck with herd migration. When you cast it on turn five, you look for your missing lands so that you ensure that on turn six, you play a herd migration for five. Um, and also you find something good, uh, or maybe you look for the head migration that you're missing by, by, by the domain scribe. And plus of heroes, whatever, whatever. Um, here are the cards that, um, well, Jay Blasses, you trophied with a slime food survey, and I'm not surprised because the card is good. It just like, needs a particular home, and there are not that many homes for that. Um, here's the list of the cards where uh, there is a very small difference in win rate between the top players and the, and the, and the bottom tier players. And it's a mixture, basically. Uh, there's a bunch of cards that are just bombs. We have Shieldred, Archangel of Wrath, Defiler of Vigor, uh, Sulkanar, um, Quirion Beastcaller, uh, and Vodalian Mindslinger. These cards are just so good that even if you're a beginning player, if you cast them, you will win many games just because they are so powerful and they don't require too much plan. Just play them and let them do their job. Uh, and there's a bunch of cards that are quite the opposite. These are the cards that even the top players in, um, in the draft environment cannot make them work. And we have Tainted Apparition, uh, Coalition Sky Knight, Vyashino Branch Rider, a Toxic Abomination, uh, Hurler Cyclops, Benalish Faith Bonder, 
Balduvian Atrocity and Lagomus Hand of Hatred. These cards, especially I think that black red deck, it may be suffering from a bit of um, uh, good players trying to force it and make it work, but not really succeeding with it. Um, but uh, yeah, in general, these are the cards that are very much underperforming in the hands of the top players. And in the hands of the bottom players, they're doing well. And this brings us to one part of this uh, uh, preamble. If, if you missed, the preamble is that learning limited has stages and you cannot like jump over certain level of development. And why is it hard? I looked at the uh, win rates of some of those cards. And for example, Tattered Apparition is way lower in terms of its average win rate than the average win rate of the top player. But when I looked at the bottom players, um, win rates, Tattered Apparition is actually a card that works better than their average win rate, which means that you're learning the game and content creator tells you that uh, Tattered Apparition is a bad card. But what you're observing is actually, well, this card actually wins me games. It's pretty good in me with me because you are still operating on a scaffold where Tattered Apparition is good because some other um, parts of your uh, skill development are not working. I can guarantee you this card is not good if you're playing the game uh, to the top standard. And I'm not even talking about myself because that clearly is not the top standard, but I see how uh, top players are playing. But um, but top players are playing the top game because they, they you know, spent thousands of games in, in, in honing their skills. When you're beginning how to um, draft, how to play limited, you can't jump over the development stage. You will have to cross the level where you think that Tattered Apparition is a good card because for you, it actually is probably good because it has some advantages. It's like an unblockable threat that allows you to win the games that are going into the stalemate. Um, and um, you're not yet ready to break the stalemate in other ways uh, that the top players will do. And I know for myself, I know that there are certain types of stalemate that I'm watching some black playing and I'm thinking, wow, that's so easy for him to break, but I would never be able to have that kind of patience in playing. And I'm still not ready to do the plays that he's doing. I'm watching them, I'm trying to learn from them, but I'm not there yet. Um, everything has its, you know, um, its, its moment. Uh, so the problem of following too much content creation is that sometimes you will bump into those uh, walls where you don't understand what they're talking because your experience and what they're saying is very misaligned for what you're uh, observing. All right. I think that the very interesting part is which cards are different between top and middle players. Because when you look, going back, when you look at the uh, win rates of the middle and the top uh, players, the difference is like three and a bit percentage points. So. It's not a big difference, really, when you look, when you think about it. These tiers are really close to each other, but still you will see some cards that have a massive difference. And again, we, we see uh, Inscribed Tablet, we saw that before, uh, Shieldred Restoration. And I think that this card is a very good example of a card that top players will apply a particular plan much better. They will not put a card in their deck uh, for no reason. Mm, from what I noticed, uh, Shieldred Restoration is usually working if you didn't get enough recursion, if you didn't get your Herberg Repossessions. You can play a Shieldred Restoration uh, to get back your Wing Metal Chaplain or something like that. And top players will identify it uh, 
The middle group is players that know all the knowledge, just miss some of the practice and some of the you know experience in in building things and making the decisions more on what they think rather than what the content creation is telling them. And uh, I think shield restoration is a very good example because this card is arguably not very good. And top players played very rarely. Um, middle players might might put it sometimes because. Uh, they don't have an idea of what to do. They miss playables and they, they think they, they will put this in a common. Uh, sometimes they will put it because they think that there's this big thing that they can do, but the thing will come together uh, rarely. So they're close to their top players will know exactly when to play it rarely, but when they do it, it has a plan, it has a space, it has like logical um, order in it. Um, I think Soul of Windgrace is very interesting in there. There's like 10 percentage points difference between um, between win rates of top players playing this card and, and, and middle players uh, playing this card. I think this might have to do with uh, middle players first picking it and trying to build around it, top players getting it later when it fits to their deck plan uh, and playing it as a reward for having a mana base that can support it. Uh, John generally is a low win rate color combination in this format, so just uh, keep that in mind. Negate, again, I talked about it in the humble brag slash uh, limited resources. I think that people that um, play Negate in the top tier of the 17 Lens users, they put the Negate in their deck because they know that Negate solves the particular problem that they have. And middle tier might still be on the level when, okay, well, they told me that Negate is good in this format, I'm going to put it in my deck, and then first target I see, I'm going to counter with the Negate. While top players will think, look, I can't win against um, uh, Urbrook Repossession. I'm going to let them kill my creatures with removal. That's not a problem because I can survive through that. But I'm going to keep it for that um, Urbrook Repossession. Or I'm going to uh, play uh, I'm going to play my game. And I know that one thing I'm losing to is um, herd migration. I'm going to keep that negate for all the game, not countering anything, because if they have that hair migration, I'm dead. So I better keep it and I'm going to counter it when that comes. I've been, um, I, I played um, a herd migration deck recently and I like, really, like my opponent had three cards in their hand all the time. I played removal after removal and my opponent was just like, yeah, dead, dead, dead. And in the end, I'm like down to my five cards in the deck. And I said, okay, I have to play that herd migration. I played my herd migration and they just like negate. But they played amazingly because they really had a plan. They knew that I might have that herd migration because, you know, there were signs. I was really trying to get my domain. They kept that negate and they won the game just because they uh, were consistent with, uh, with, um, with keeping it because they probably realized that one way they lose this game is if I play head migration and it's worth not countering stuff when I was playing things that were not threatening their life anyway. Um, and I was going to mill first. Uh, they kept that negate to, to counter things that would really kill them. And we got like a bunch of uh, things. We talked about Slimefoot Survey again. I think that uh, top players know exactly when to put that card in their deck. I can't explain Rith uh, and I'm not going to try it. Founding of the third path, I think it's one of the examples like Slimefoot Survey. You have to have a really a, a particular deck that will, um, you know, get this card working. We have to Inferno again, uh, Strength of the Coalition, Broken Wings, which is actually not a terrible win rate um, in the hands of the top players, 
But I think that this, this situation is again, like they play broken wings if it fills an important gap in their strategy. And it will happen very rarely, but they will play it. Because sometimes when you play those like very slow decks and you don't have anything with breach and maybe you don't have that much removal, you need to deal with the flyers because if you don't deal with the flyer, you're going to die before you can actually assemble your um, um, your defense. So uh, sometimes you're not going to be happy about it, but sometimes you're going to sp play that snare spinner and sometimes you're going to play that broken wings. It's going to happen rarely, but when you do, they are going to be absolutely necessary for your plan and you're going to save them for the right moment and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, cards that middle players are using better than the top players. And here we have Toxic Abomination. I think that just like, from what I see, top players just don't do well with the black-red decks. And I think Toxic Abomination is probably going to be the best in those black-red decks. I think the same goes for Braids Arisen Nightmare. Um, we see a bunch of cards here that um, are pretty much aggro. I think that middle uh, tier players, because they don't try to be like super smart and um, um, have this elaborate plan, are much better with coming with a simpler plan uh, that goes down into the face of the opponent. And yeah, you see Toxic Abomination is the card that I, I'm going to look at, Lanowar Stalker, uh, Ivy, um, uh, Defiler of Faith, uh, squee, uh, uh, long song of night and day, love song of night and day. Um, these are all like aggressive cards that uh, top players don't seem to be utilizing very well in this format because maybe they try to be a bit too much dirty. They don't try to force um, particular archetypes. Uh, that's just my uh, in internal feeling. Uh, it might be wrong, but I think that it seems to me like, again, we're going to go back to the preamble. Learning Limited has stages. And I think that um, playing solid aggressive deck is the middle stage of your development. Um, you are much better in implementing this plan because the plan is easier to materialize in your head. Like opponent has 20 life, you have some creatures, you go face, you destroy your opponent. I think it's like easier to, uh, to play that kind of plan because it doesn't require that much discipline. It doesn't require uh, waiting patiently like a spider in the middle of the web. Um, and I think that data sort of suggests that, uh, that, that those aggressive plans are better implemented by the middle players. Uh, but they do get lost in those more elaborate plans that require five-color decks that uh, need to use their responses uh, or answers precisely at the right thread and stuff like that. Prioritization of different plays is, is more complicated and whatever. Um, and it's also interesting to see if there is uh, things that are different between middle and bottom players. Uh, you see a lot of the cards that were uh, also top players versus bottom players uh, were having Twinferno, Stan, Front Portal, uh, Plus of Heroes, Karn Silex, all those cards we saw before. Uh, there is the Shadow Rite Priest, which is particularly good in middle players for some reason. Um, um, Leilite Binding was there, Voha was there, not too much important stuff, or too much interesting stuff. Um, it would be interesting to see which cards the bottom players are. Uh, do better than, uh, uh, than, than the middle. Well, they don't do better with them. They just do slightly less, less, less worse. Uh, one, one interesting one is the Soul of Windgrace. We already mentioned that. Um, I think that at this middle level of your development as a player, uh, playing a card like Soul of Windgrace is tempting when you first pick it. And I think that uh, it's a trap, uh, basically, uh, to force around it. 
I think that Defiler of Vigor is also a card that it has a flat skill level because it seems to me like um, from the beginner to the top players, the win rate of that card doesn't change that much because it's not that strong in the hand of top players and it's really strong in the hands of the uh, bottom and middle players. It might have something to do with the tiers that they are playing in. And we see some other cards, Archangel of Wrath, uh, that card is just so busted that um, it requires almost no no kind of thought and it, it works very well. Uh, Silverback Elder is a card that is good, but top players don't have a super high win rate with it. And um, and, and the lower you go in the skill level, uh, the higher the win rate uh, uh, you get for it compared to your average. And the same with Sulkanar. Sulkanar is just so good that uh, uh, it doesn't require much skill. You just play it, and you just continue winning the game, and it's fine. Um, right, so that was the win rate. But win rate is not everything. Uh, we also have um, other things. And here I'm going to look at the difference in picking. And what do I mean by difference in picking? In this case, I mean how many times you saw a card versus how many times you picked it and the difference between different tiers. So, for example, if you see... Micromancer with around 20 percentage point uh, difference in picking, it would mean that if the bottom tier players pick it 30 percent of the time that they see it, uh, the top uh, uh, top winner players will see it will, will pick it 50 percent of the time. So uh, the difference will be around 20 percent of the time. By looking at the difference between how frequently you pick a card uh, at different um, uh, tiers, you can think about what do players that have a higher win rate prioritize more. Uh, and these are going to be the cards. We have a Micromancer and that card is by far the most, the card that is cherished by the top win rate players, but why? Uh, oh, no, uh, that is cherished by the top win rate players, but my God. Uh, but the people that have a lower win rate are um, overlooking it. And I think that it's because it's a four mana sort of hill giant on the face of it. That requires a bit building around. But top players quickly realize that this building around is amazing because there's so many important um, one uh, mana value cards in the format. There is a, there is a Urberk Repossession. Um, there is, um, there is Rona's Vortex. There is the uh, one mana minus one minus out uh, country trick that basically Let's you play Micromancer, get you one mana spell, cast it, maybe you win a combat, and uh, or maybe force a block and, and also draw a card. So this card is sneakily good, and it's not obvious why the card is powerful. And I think that that's, that's why the, the, there's such a big difference between how frequently uh, top players pick it uh, versus how uh, frequently the lower win rate players pick it. Uh, second card on the list, Fires of Victory. It's another card that um, uh, Cortocals, I think, was really high on it in the previous season. And I thought, he, I, I always trust Alex, but I was like thinking, hmm, is he right? Is he not right? In the end, he's damn right. I mean, the card is very powerful. Um, I always gave it a chance because if Alex tells me that the card is good, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. But I think that it's maybe tricky for a player that is only starting with draft to see how just how powerful the card is. Uh, that this kicker in the late game is really backbreaking. But it's also a card that requires a bit of uh, cunning playing because if you didn't draw it in your first um, uh, hand, you have to expect that you're going to draw it at a certain stage and you might change your uh, play patterns based on that. So you want to keep that extra land, not play it out. 
Um, you, but you also don't want to keep lands and not being able to cast spells. So it's like it's 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 a tricky combination of how you play. Uh, another card, uh, Tolerant Gazer. Um, um, that card is very underappreciated by general uh, arena users. As we looked on the data, we saw that the average win rate of the uh, bottom uh, win rate tier list of 17 lands is roughly what you would expect from the average win rate of the uh, uh, arena user, which means that they probably also undervalue it uh, as the average arena user does. The card is great and it does so many things. Uh, but uh, you just need to be probably told sometimes that that card is good. You know, I was raised on the invasion block, and uh, you know, bounce the Troy card was probably the most powerful common in that set. Um, Ertai Resurrected is also another card that I think is more powerful than it looks like. Rona's Vortex again. This is not like a straightforward removal, and people sometimes get confused with that. It's a very powerful removal. Nishoba Brawler looks like, you know, just another two drop, but it's so much more. It's good aggressively, it's good defensively, and maybe a beginning player might not see that exactly. Or it might be that uh, an experienced player will see that this is way more powerful than you would think and will aggressively prioritize it, and that's the reason for the difference. Same with Wing Metal Chaplain. Uh, invested players know that this is like the mythic and common of the format. And we have like a bunch of cards that are powerful, but maybe not obviously. And another category in uh, Sphinx of the Clear Skies and the Elden Dragon War of cards that you want to maybe shift your whole direction of draft uh, by picking them uh, in pack two, for example. And I think that uh, beginners players, when they are not in the right colors, they will think, okay, I can't play the Sphinx of Clear Skies while an experienced player will be like opening it in uh, pack two, pick one, and thinking, oh yeah, now I'm going to try to make blue happen because uh, that card is just so good. Uh, Weather Sea Treaty is, I think, another card that sort of uh, requires a bit more uh, plan to play correctly, and I think that um, experienced players will have that plan quite easily uh, achieved, and that's why they are uh, drafting it more frequently. Now we can look at the cards that... Oh, come on. I'm... I'm just very good with clicking buttons today. Um, the cards that the bottom players pick much higher than the top players do. And we have Ajani, the Sleeper Agent, Mythic. Uh, Weatherlight completed, Mythic, but unplayable, basically, in, in, in draft in this format. Um, there is the Defiler of Faith, the Ravenman, Stronghold Arena, which is a card that I think is going to appear in uh, multiple other um, uh, graphs uh, in this presentation. Basically, a card that so okay. Let's 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 go back a bit. But uh, forty-five percent of the games logged in this data set were by top players, which means that it's very unlikely that one of the cards uh, from the top players will not have enough data to get a proper win rate. But it will have enough data in the bottom tier and the middle tier to have. Um, uh, uh, to have the win rate calculated. You know, 17 lands do doesn't show the win rate of some cards when they are played very rarely. Um, Stronghold Arena is one of the two cards in the format where there is data for it from lower tier, uh, win rate tier, and uh, middle uh, win rate tier, but there is no data from top win rate tier. Top players so actively avoid playing that card that there is not enough data uh, uh, to have a win rate for that. 
but bottom win rate players and middle win rate players do have enough, which means this card is specifically appealing to uh, people who have a slightly maybe less experience in the game. The ones that are more invested will just avoid it like a plague, basically. Uh, we have a bunch of rares in here. Like it's Ajani Weatherlight, Defiler of Faith, that's the white one, which you know looks good on paper, but when you think about it, it's just like a five mana five five with some minor upside later in a format where um, Destroy Evil is one of the prime uh, commons. So you don't want to play into that kind of uh, stuff. Defiler Flash, that's another one, and it doesn't have um, a very good win rate. Defiler of Instinct, another one that doesn't have, um, um, that, 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 you know, uh, beginner players uh, or lower win rate players are picking much more higher. Uh, again, Lagomos, which is a good card. That card would have been busted in so many formats that we've seen in the last years. It just doesn't align with what uh, uh, Red Green wants to do and in this particular one. Uh, so these are all the cards that uh, uh, lower wounded players are going to pick. Most of them are rares and mythics, which sort of suggests that maybe those lower wounded players will pick rares because they are mainly playing uh, constructed and they want to get their cards. No one can blame them. Economy of arena is atrocious and, and uh, any win you can get uh, against it is, is something that I'm cheering for, so uh, that's fine. But there is a bunch of rares in that um, category, and there is a bunch of do-nothing five-drops like Linebreaker, Bailoth, and uh, Sengir Connoisseur on, on top of that as well. When you look at the difference between top and the middle players, Micromancer is there again. Tolerant Gazer, Weather Seat Greedy, Nishoba Brewer, Fires of Victory. All those cards we mentioned before. Uh, all those cards are sneakily good, and they are maybe... When you look at them on fundamental level, don't look like they're amazing, but they are. And uh, it came out in the laundry. It's basically people played played uh, a bunch of games and then figure out that those cards are uh, just so much better. Uh, what do we see here that is unique to the group? Uh, there's Shivan Devastator. Um, I think that um, top players are going to be much better in trying to accommodate for that card. Uh, therefore, they can pick it earlier. Um, I think the interesting one is Tatiova and weirdly similar card to Tatiova and Drag to the Bottom. Uh, these are all sort of like cards that enable your late game. And I think that in general, uh, top players are going to be much better going into the late game in those drafts. Uh, cards that the middle uh, win rate tier players are going to pick much more frequently in terms of uh, how often they pick them. Again, Defiler, Faith, Ajani, Brace, Weatherlight completed. Another Defiler, another Defiler, uh, another Defiler, uh, Danitha. All those kind of rares that look like they're good cards, they just don't align so well with the format. They're not bad, it's just that they're not great in this format particularly. Defilers, especially costing dual pips um, in every case, are difficult to put into this um, domain-defined uh, format. Uh, and there's, again, a bunch of rares. So middle win rate players are going to be probably rare drafting slightly more than the top winner players who are focusing on winning the games. Um, difference between middle and the bottom, uh, Micromancer still. So even though uh, Micromancer is the biggest difference between top and the middle players, it's also the biggest difference between uh, uh, the middle and the bottom players. So this card is like the definition of uh, what happens when you get better in the game, when you understand the game better. 
Micromancer goes up in your value because you understand exactly how powerful it is. And then you go to the middle, you think that you understand, oh yeah, no, Micromancer is good. You value it much more higher than the uh, lower win rate players. But then you still look and top win rate players are going to be like, oh mate, you're not even close to evaluating it highly enough. You're, you're getting there, not just yet. Um, uh, what else do we have there? Uh, Sphinx of the Clear Skies. Um, I don't know why my bottom players just don't appreciate this card. It's bloody five five for five uh, five five flyer for five mana. It should be quite clear that it's good. Um, uh, you got the uh, you got the fires of victory again. Um, that was another difference between the top and the middle players, and another difference between middle and bottom players. Which means this is another like a card that. Understanding just how good it is is uh, well uh, uh, is a good definition of uh, uh, of how you understand the game. And Vohar Vodalian, uh, the, the the looter, is another of those cards that there was a difference between top and the middle. There is a difference between middle and the bottom. And apart from that, you get like a bunch of uh, bunch of rares that I think middle players are understanding that you can you can um, pick them and build around them, and they are so powerful that you probably should stick to them. Uh, like like Vodalian Mindsinger, like Nemata, like uh, Anointing Peacekeeper, Temporal Firestorm, uh, Silver Scrutiny. I know a, a big fan of that card, uh, and if he's still here, he may he may he may sing some praises of it. Um, cards that um, the bottom win rate players prefer uh, over the middle uh, win rate players. Again, we see Soul of Wind Grace, we see Ravenman, we see Weatherlight completed. Whether it's completed is exactly that kind of a trap that um, that will your uh, according to your development layer. Stronghold Arena is another card that we mentioned before. Again, the bottom players love it because it is appealing on some level. You have to know the game a bit more in depth to understand why this card is not going to go uh, well. Uh, right. Um, and I think last statistic I'm going to look at today is um, games per pick difference so it's difficult because higher win rate players will play more games on average generally because if you win 60 percent of your games you're going to be four three more frequently than when you win 50 percent of your games but still when you look at all the cards and there is a difference when you know the average difference uh, based on your win rate there are going to be cards that have still a bigger difference in how many games you play uh, with them and this is going to tell you um, not only how much more do you win, but also how, how more frequently you play a particular card. So I calculated how many games on average do you play with a particular card per the time you pick them, um, which includes calculating how often do you play and how many games do you win. Hopefully, most of the, the difference that we see between tiers is not because you win more, but it's because uh, uh, because you uh, you play with the card more frequently than the uh, uh, than the other tier. And here we have the difference between top players: how many games per the times that they pick a particular card they play uh, versus the bottom players. Uh, the top uh, the top cards is Phyrexian Espionage, Micromancer, and Vohar Vodalin Desecrator. That has a couple of reasons. One. Um, Top players have a much higher win rate with the mirror than the lower win rate players do. Uh, two top players play those cards more frequently than the lower win rate players do. Um, and uh, uh, and three, 
top win rate players pick those cards when they want to play them in general. We know with the Micromancer and Vohard, they pick them more frequently because they think that there is a good spot for them in, in their decks. And it goes the same with Impulse, for example. But it's different with Karn Living Legacy, which is picked less by the top players. But when they pick it, they try to build around it. They try to maximize the, the, uh, the win rate of this card. Um, I think that the top three cards are particularly important. Uh, these are the cards that when you're a top player, you're going to win so much more with them. You're going to play them in your decks because when you pick them, you're going to play uh, with them. Uh, but when you are still not on the level of being a top player yourself, these cards might actually be a trap for you because you you will still not have the intellectual tools to utilize those cards uh, perfectly. And uh, this is something you should not forget. When you think about it, how many of the cards on that list are actually pretty good in a black-blue uh, deck? Phyrexian Espionage, Micromancer, Vohar, um, uh, Liliana, Rona's Vortex, uh, Ether, Chan uh, Ether Channeler, all those cards will be uh, pretty good at home in a blue-black deck. So um, uh, Tolerant Gazer probably also is going to be good in that uh, particular deck. So um, some combinations that require uh, interaction, careful playing, being a spider in the middle of the web, waiting patiently for your opportunity and then turning a corner are going to be more tricky for uh, for the uh, for the players that are less experienced, basically in the beginning. Um, there are cards that um, that uh, the bottom players are going to play more games with uh, when they pick them, and we have a bunch of rares in there. But we also have Shieldred's Restoration. I think that this is a particular trap card that is alluring to the bottom uh, win rate players. They will play it more frequently. And they will play more games with them because they will play it more frequently, not because they win more games, because the win rate of people that uh, have um, uh, that, that belong to the top tier is way higher. That, that remind you, this was one of those cards where the difference between the win rate in top players and the bottom players was the biggest. And still, uh, the low win rate players are going to play more games every time they pick this card because they put it in every deck and they have a very bad win rate with them, while the top players put it rarely and have a very high win rate with them. The same thing with Stronghold Arena. Um, uh, top tier players will pick it because it's a rare and it's 20 gems, but that's the only reason why they pick it. They will never play it. Uh, more beginning players are going to pick it and try to build around it, play it, and it's just not good enough to be building it around. And you have a bunch of other rares, temporary lockdown. Probably top players are drafting it without intention to play. Um, lower winners players think, ooh, that might be actually a two for one. But they don't think that even if it's two for one, it's not great two for a pretty high pick uh, one. Uh, when we have a bunch of those lords, Leaf Grand Visionary and Vidalian Hexcatcher, um, these are again, again the cards that, um, or uh, also Runefeld Holdmaster. These are cards that are, there are, there is not enough support to play them in your main deck, and top players understand them and don't play them. They pick them because it's 20 gems again. Bunch of rares here because of that reason. Uh, difference between top and middle players, uh, in terms of games played, a Johnny Sleeper Agent uh, is the bigger difference. And I think that it's because um, uh, top players are going to play it, pick it rarely, and when they pick it, they pick it for a very good reason. Well, I think that the middle um, uh, tier players are going to pick it just because it's a mythic and stuff like that. 
uh, what do we have? A bunch of uh, similar things. Current Living Legacy, uh, Shodred, Joda the Unifier, cards like that um, that are harder to build around. So uh, maybe the top players are going to be able to build a better deck around it. Uh, uh, differences between top and middle in the other direction. Stronghold Arena again. Uh, this card is a trap and top players understand how, how trappy it is. Again, we have the uh, Leaf Grand Visionary, Vodalian Hexcatcher, uh, Runefield Horde Master. Cards that top player will pick because they're rare drafting and middle players will pick because they want to live the dream of being able to play that card. Um, difference between middle and bottom, which is interesting. If you think that you might be uh, in the bottom uh, tier and you want to progress to that middle tier, um, Jaya Fire Negotiator, I think it's just people that uh, are in the middle tier play that card much better. Ether Channeler, Leyline Binding, complicated cards. You need to know when to draft them, when to play them, and how to play them. Drag to Bottom, I think that card also appeared in multiple lists. It's a very powerful card, but requires a particular home. Somewhere in the mid-pack, we got this Micromancer, Vohar, Vodalian Desecrator kind of package. Think about those cards. Try to make sure that you understand where to put them bunch of Demir cards in that list in general because you have the Ether Channeler, uh, Drop to Bottom, Liana, Micromancer, Vohar, Silver Scrutiny, Cruelty of Gigs, uh, Defiler of Dreams, Phyrexian Espionage, Evolved Sleeper, uh, Cruelty of, um, sorry, Sulkanar is sort of Demir card when you splash red. All these cards, you're much better in utilizing them uh, when you are the middle win rate player. I think that control decks are just generally difficult to play uh, in any format, particularly in this format where the games are a bit longer and you need to manage your threats, answers, and um, uh, and resources uh, very well. It's uh, it's like a very boomer format in that aspect. Uh, cards that people from bottom tier play more than the middle tier. We have World Spell because it's a flashy mythic and people think that they can play. I had one deck that I played it and was pretty useful in it, but I had like three bombs in it and uh, playing the World Spell was a guarantee that I'm going to draw two of them. And I didn't care about the casting them for free because I was just happy to draw them. Um, Shieldred Restoration, again, a card that seems appealing but should be played very scarcely. Slimefoot Survey, same kind of situation. Uh, temporary Lockdown shouldn't be played generally. It, it, I think it's a, like, you know, a, a sideboard card. Well, um, and we have those uh, Lords, Leaf Grand Visionary, Vatalan Hexcatcher, another build around kind of Lords, Rivas of the Claw and Miria, Scholar of Antiquity, cards that technically could be built around, but Rivas doesn't have any support. Meria has very little support, and I'm pretty sure that some good players can play, uh, play it well. Vesuvian Duplomancy, another card, of course, careful playing around, but will not fit in any deck. Um, and the last thing that I had from the data, um, Explode Things. Academy Loremaster did something wrong. It has a really, really uh, disappointing win rate uh, in the hands of top players for some reason. Really disappointed. Uh, so clearly did something wrong. Um, we still don't have the game data from 17 lands, uh, but I was able to calculate uh, what is the percentage of the time that the card ends up in your hand compared to the number that you played a particular card um, across all the cards played in each tier. Uh, and this is like a good proxy of how long do the games last 
maybe not in terms of turns, but at least in terms of turns and how many extra cards you draw. Uh, because if you prioritize card draw, you're going to draw, of course, more cards. If you prioritize playing longer games, you're going to draw more cards. And those differences are quite small, but are consistent in, in their direction. So, um, uh, so basically, uh, if you're in the bottom tier, when you have a card in your deck, you have a 44% chance of drawing it uh, during any game. Uh, because that's how long your games last and how many cards you're drawing. And if you're in top uh, tier, you will have 46.4% uh, chance of drawing it. So there's a slight difference between how many cards you see uh, in a game, uh, which means that those top tier players are capable of prolonging the game and actually winning uh, because, well, thanks to prolonging or despite prolonging the game, they're, they're capable of winning the game. And that was the last piece of data I had today. Uh, so your nightmare, your ordeal is coming to an end. Before we go, as always, I would like to thank 17 Lands, Viral Misnomer, Hululu, Grandwu, ZTM. Um, they, uh, Viral Misnomer and uh, Ale Ballini did an amazing work this, uh, this season to try to get the, uh, the data uh, on track. I'm pretty much hoping that next week we're going to have uh, um, uh, access to them uh, and I can do like amazing uh, analysis that I was hoping to do uh, for, for many, 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 many weeks already. Uh, so I'm uh, looking forward to that. And of course, 17 Lens is the thing that made this data analysis platform available uh, possible at all. So thanks for, for those last three years. It's been amazing, right? Um, uh, working with the, with the guys there uh, and getting access to, to, you know, knowledge that is was inaccessible uh, when I was starting to play the game. And it's so amazing that it dragged me into content creation. Um, also, thanks to uh, Fake Jake Brown. Fake Jake Brown is the currently teaching his dog to do stuff, uh, I'm assuming. But, uh, but when he finishes uh, teaching the dog, he is going to be the person that makes sure that this is more streamlined uh, in a podcast format, edits it out, removes the pauses that I awkwardly introduce at random intervals uh, and has been the like good spirit of this uh, uh, the podcast version of magic numbers for for well, since its inception basically and when we are on the topic of the podcast I would also like to thank SSQ and Mana Junkie for uh, the music we're using for the intro uh, Mana Junkie aptly named and I had to use that kind of music and with this, I will thank again MTGA Zone for sponsoring, and I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>